0: I hope you have a Bible with you today. Please turn to Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8 deals with the issue living in the realm of our victory. Now, if you've been with me through the series so far, going verse by verse through Romans, we've seen everything. We've seen how bad man is. We've seen God's provision for man, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, the payment he made on the cross. And then we've seen uh, how our, that relationship and, and the fact that salvation has always been the same by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. People say sometimes, we're, well, people were saved in the Old Testament by keeping the law, right? No, they were never saved by keeping the law. Man has always been saved the same way because no one can keep the law. By grace through faith in Christ, plus nothing, nothing minus nothing. The Old Testament saints, they look forward to the day that when Messiah would come make a payment for sin. Those of us on the other side of the cross look back at what Christ has done for us in paying for that sin and rising from the grave. And all who trust in Christ and him alone as Savior receive the gift, the gift of eternal life. Now, we saw last week the struggle within a believer. Paul talked about his own struggle. He was saved, had been saved for many years when he wrote Romans. Matter of fact, many believe he was saved probably about 25 years when he penned under inspiration, the book of Romans. And then he talked about his own struggle. And by the way, that struggle at the end of chapter seven was written in the present tense. In other words, this is something that he he still had issues with in his life. And he talked about the struggle he had. And we're gonna talk about it just a little bit here in, in a moment Uh, as we we're going to look at verse one, and then we're going to back up a little into chapter seven. How many of us understand, by the way, that the chapter divisions in scripture are not actually in the letters that were written? Do we understand that? Okay. In other words, those chapter divisions and verse numbers were added later. These are letters is what they are. They're letters written, long letters. Romans is a long letter, but it is a letter. Nonetheless, Now, I'm glad the chapter divisions and the verse numbers are there. It makes it easy to find things. But at the same time, sometimes they can hinder us understanding the connection between one passage and the next, and therefore making it difficult for us to see what it's truly saying. I think we have that situation here at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. So it says in Romans chapter 8, let me get there in my Bible, Romans chapter 8 in verse 1, it says, there isn't therefore now... Therefore, in light of what he's been talking about, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, what is this referring to? Well, the realm of victory we have as believers is a tremendous blessing, and that's how God wants us to see it. Okay, He saved us from the penalty of sin. We are in a great privilege of being saved from the power of sin in our everyday life. And one day we have the promise that we are gonna be saved from the very presence of sin when we see the Lord. And so the realm of victory we have as believers, God wants us to see it as a great blessing. God wants us to understand and live in response to To what God has done for us in saving us by grace and giving us everlasting life. And this is what verse one is all about. So let's break this down. Number one, we see as we, this issue of living in the realm of our victory. Number one, it is the place of no condemnation. The realm of our victory is the place of no condemnation. Verses one through three deals with this. This provides for us eternal security. If there is no condemnation to the believer, then we are eternally secure, okay? In such a position, condemnation is no longer possible. Why? Because we are in Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, there's nothing to condemn. And once you're in Christ, you don't get out of Christ, all right? Uh, Condemnation's no longer possible. Hold your place here and look with me to John chapter five. John chapter five. Now, how do we enter into Christ? By faith. By faith in Jesus Christ, believing that when he died on the cross, he paid for our sins and then rose from the grave to prove it was done. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you put your trust in him as your only Savior, the only way you're going to get to heaven, God gives you that moment, everlasting life. Your sins are 100% forgiven. How many? All of them. All of them. That doesn't just deal with the past. It also deals with the future sin in your life. Because remember, when Jesus died on the cross, how many of our sins were in the future? All of them were in the future. We hadn't been born yet. Unless you're extremely old. And I don't see anybody quite that old here today, all right? It says in John 5, 24, verily, verily, Jesus is speaking, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath, possesses right now, that's what the word hath means, present tense, possesses right now everlasting life, and look at the promise, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed or has passed from death unto life. I like to illustrate what Christ has done with an illustration. Watch this, that's why we call it that. This hand, let's pretend for just a moment, it's you and me. And we're gonna let my wallet here represent sin, All our sin. Here we are, God says we're all sinners. Now, I think we would all agree with that. We all understand that, okay? We're all sinners, the Bible says in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God loves us though, he hates our sin. You see, friend, heaven is a perfect place and for us to get in, we have to have all of our sin gone. You can't get to heaven with even one sin. Revelation tells us not even one lie, not any kind of sin can enter heaven. Well, if we are already sinners, therefore none of us can enter heaven, none of us. Not only that, but God says there's a penalty that goes with that. The wages of sin is death, all right? If we are going to pay for our sin and it must be paid for, we are under the penalty of death. A death payment must be made for our sins. Now, if we do it, we're gonna not only die physically, but we're gonna be separated from God for all eternity in a literal fire-burning hell, okay? It's an awful thought, but it is true. You need to understand it's real, And it's true, okay? Now, that is the penalty for our sin. If we do it, that's what we'd have to do, spend forever separated from God in hell. Yet the Bible tells us God loves us, he hates our sin. And here's the truth of scripture. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. But people come up with their own ideas. They'll say, oh, well, then what I'll do is, okay, I get it, I better behave myself, And I better live a good life because if I live a good life, my good works will outweigh my bad and therefore God will let let me into heaven. Did you know that's been made up by man? It's the biggest lie ever perpetrated on humanity that you can earn your way to heaven by your good works. Look what the scriptures say over here. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Look at that verse nine not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, okay, it's pretty bleak. I'm a sinner, heaven's perfect. I can't get into heaven with my sin, therefore I can't get in. The best I can do is not going to get me into heaven because I need a payment for sin. And God says the only payment is death. If I do it, I'll be lost forever in hell. So then what am I gonna do? Well, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's why it's called good news. That's what the word gospel means. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, God Himself came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And friend, when Jesus went to the cross, He went there not for His own sin, He died on the cross to pay for our sin. He took it upon Himself. He made that complete payment. Shedding His blood, He died, He was buried, He rose from the grave. And he says this, I've paid for your sins. If you trust in me that I made that payment for you, I'll give you that moment everlasting life. The payment he made is good on our behalf. When you trust in him, your sins are forgiven. All your sins are gone. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? If you have no sins to pay for, you can go to heaven. This is what Jesus did. But you must believe or trust in him as your savior for that payment to be good on your behalf, okay? This is the way God has designed it. And you notice what Jesus said in John 5, 24, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, literally, the word on is, is not in the original Greek. It's literally believe him that sent me. In other words, the record that God gave of him. The father said that the son is God in the flesh, the Messiah, when you trust in him, you have everlasting life. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. You notice what kind of life it is. It's not life until you sin again. It's not life until you fail. It's not life until you do something wrong. No, it's everlasting life. God doesn't want us to sin once we're saved, but we are going to sin once we're saved because we're not perfect. We still do sin. But God says this in his word. Even that sin that you do after you've trusted Christ... When Jesus died, he paid for it all and he gives you everlasting life. I know there are people who hear that and they say, I can't accept that. That's too easy, that's too easy. Friend, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If hell is as bad as it is, and it is, and God loves you, then why would he make it impossible for you to get to heaven on your own? Okay? Why would he say, if he said to you, you have to earn it, you have to do good works, you have to live a good life, you have to do all these things, knowing that none of us could do it, knowing therefore all of us would spend forever in hell, if God loves us, would he not do what he could do to provide eternal life for us? He did that. That's exactly what he did. Jesus paid the price that we owe. He became a man because we needed a substitute for us as human beings. He became one to die in our place, to make the payment for us. The Bible says God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he offers eternal life as a gift. And so there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now you notice back in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. By the way, if you haven't trusted Christ alone as your Savior, do that today. If you have questions about this, please see me afterwards. I'd be glad to go through it in more detail with you. The promise you have everlasting life and you will not come into condemnation. So then in Romans 8, 1, it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The first part of verse one looks to our standing in Christ. In other words, how God sees us in eternity where we have no condemnation. You might say, yeah, but what about the second part of that verse? Well, the second part of the verse has to do with God's desired and proper walk for those of us who are believers in light of the promise of deliverance to those who walk by faith according to the end of chapter 7. Now listen very carefully. The end of chapter 7 is very important to understanding the first verse in chapter 8. Why do I say that? Well, look at the end of chapter seven. You remember last time, if you were with us, the frustration Paul was having? He says, The good I want to do, I don't do it, but the evil which I do, that I find myself, I'm doing that, I'm practicing it. Oh, wretched man, you notice Romans 7 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, miserable is the word wretched. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them, which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What is he getting at? Why is that there at the end of verse one? I think it's saying, look, God has provided victory for you as a believer. Okay, You are a believer. There's no condemnation to those of you who are that. Okay, It is God's desire for us to live in the realm of the victory that God has provided. Now here's where people go off. They say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that saying then if you, if you don't walk in the spirit, then you are condemned and you're gonna go to hell when you die? That's not what verse one says. Verse one states the positive our position in Christ and then it states the desired walk God would have us to have in light of that does every Christian serve the Lord the way they should no matter of fact none of us do none of us do if you sin at all you're not living the way God wants you to live so therefore are we still condemned then if we don't live that way well then you're back to an issue of okay then why are you going to heaven because you live right that's works for salvation. No, that's not what it's saying. It doesn't say in verse 1 that if you don't walk that way, you're condemned and not saved. That would be works for salvation. What it's saying is that those of us who are in Christ, it's saying you want to serve the Lord, don't you? You should want to serve the Lord in light of the end of chapter 7. See, verse 1, chapter 8 is linked to the end of chapter Seven. That's what I think it's getting at. By the way, do you remember chapter six? It's that same kind of an assumption of how we should see our salvation. What shall we say then? Remember chapter six? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Yeah, but guess what? There are Christians who still when that, you're asked that question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Some Christians say, oh yeah, my sins are paid for, I'm going to heaven, I can, I can do that. Well, friend, what we can do and what we ought to do are two different things. God has created us on two good works, not by good works, okay? Which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not that we will or that we must, we ought to. And yes, we ought to live not after the flesh, but after the spirit, after the spirit. By the way, let me just get a side note here. If if you came today with anything besides a King James or New King James Bible, I know that the last part of verse one's not in your Bible, right? You might say, well, what's going on? Well, I would recommend you don't use that Bible if it's not there, okay? Many are saying today that the last part of verse one shouldn't be there, and it was simply copied from verse four, okay? Now, that's one side, and that's the newer side of belief, by the way. That idea did not really start gaining traction until the late 1800s, when all the new eclectic texts started, the Westcott and Hort and, and all of that. See, that's what you hear, and that's what you see in a lot of these new commentaries. However, there are many, many manuscripts and copies that do have the last part in verse one in the text. The translators of the King James Bible, by the way, they were 47 translators of the King James who were men who were renowned scholars of their day. When they came together and they did the translation of the King James, they, all 47, believed it was part of the actual text. Why? Because of the text they were using. Now, if they didn't believe it, they wouldn't have put it in there. Now, you can believe it. You just need to understand what it's talking about. Now, moving on here in Romans chapter eight, Keep this in mind as we go through Romans chapter 8. There are 19 references in Romans chapter 8 to the Holy Spirit. 19 references. In chapter 7, what was the the focus? Chapter 7, talking about the failure of the Christian, the word I in me is used over and over and over and over. When you get to chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is the emphasis. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is our source of victory to live for Jesus Christ, which is the will of God for those of us who are believers. Romans chapter eight, verse two, it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now the law in verse two is not referring to the Mosaic law. It's referring to the idea of the principle or the way of the way of the spirit of life or the way of the law of sin and death. But then verse three, it does talk about the Mosaic law, where it says, for what the law could not do. You might say, well, how do you know that's what it's referring to? Well, if you read chapter seven, it becomes very clear. Again, chapter seven's not divorced from chapter eight. For what the law, the Mosaic law, the commandments, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. The Mosaic law or the commandments simply made things worse for us because they, they made it clear that, whoa, well, you do that, that's, that's breaking God's law. That breaks God's law. That breaks God's law. It's like, whoa, I'm guilty, I'm condemned. Yeah, that's what the law does. It shows us that we need a savior, that we don't have the answer in ourselves. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin, in the flesh. Now what we come to next in verses four through nine, this place of this realm of victory, it is the place of clear contrast. God wants us to live in the realm of the victory Jesus Christ has provided. And so what does Paul do here? He gives us some clear contrast. And folks, let me say this. If you're a Christian, you're here today, you've trusted Christ as Savior, but you're living a carnal lifestyle. Okay, you don't get excited about the things of Christ. You really love, you get more excited about the things of the world than you get excited about the things of Christ. God says, okay, I want you to understand some things. I want you to understand here what the old life and the world and the lost world has to offer and what Jesus Christ has to offer. I want you to see it clearly. Because again, clearly what the Lord has to offer is so much greater than what the world has to offer in the flesh. Verse four, it says, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. In other words, the law could not produce true godliness. It only showed our guilt. But the Holy Spirit can produce true godliness in us. As I walk according to the power that he... Supplies, And that is exactly what he does. Notice in verse four, as we walk under the control of the spirit, we fulfill the righteousness of the law. You heard me say a couple weeks ago. Now listen carefully. This alarms some people. They freak out. As a Christian today, you don't even need to know what the 10 commandments are. I'm not saying they're bad. They're wonderful. They came from God. I'm not saying they're not important for our country in which we live which is made of both lost people and saved people. I'm not saying that, okay? Listen, lost people can't walk in the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So we do need laws to keep order in society. But if you as a believer today did not even know the Ten Commandments and yet, listen carefully, and yet you walked in submission to the Holy Spirit in your life, you would end up fulfilling the righteousness of the law. Wow, why is that? Well, because God's the lawgiver. And if he is controlling my life, he's not gonna put in my life something that contradicts what his word says. As a matter of fact, the scriptures are clear on this. This is an amazing truth. As we walk under the control of the spirit, we'll fulfill the righteousness of the law. Why? Because God's holy character is manifested, made known in the law, in the commandments the very one who is controlling us. Galatians 5 has some powerful truth on this. I want you to hold your place and look with me to Galatians chapter 5. Now again, I'm not saying the commandments aren't good. I'm not saying they're not good to know. What I'm saying though is this. If we just try, try, try to keep the 10 commandments, God has something far greater than that for us. He says this, no, if you walk in the spirit, guess what? You are going to fulfill not only outwardly the righteousness of the commandments, but inwardly. Listen, a person under the control of the Holy Spirit is not going to covet his neighbor's goods. He's not going to covet his neighbor's wife. He's not going to be a liar. He's not going to have other gods before the one true God. Do you understand where I'm going with this? Okay, this is the truth of it. What's he going to do? He will end up, if he's under the control of the Spirit, not breaking the commandments, but fulfilling them. And that's not even his mindset. His mindset is to simply live, pleasing God with his life. Galatians 5.16, it says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts, the desires of the flesh, which is sin, So as I walk under the power of the Holy Spirit, yielding and obedient obedient to him, I'm not going to fulfill the desires of my sin nature. There's no denial, by the way, the sin nature's still there. The lusts of the flesh are still there. But the way to have victory over that is to walk under the control of, under the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, but if ye be led by the Spirit, or if ye be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. All right, very important to understand that, folks. Very important. You might say, well, pastor, don't you think of the 10 commandments often? No, I don't. I really don't. What I wanna do is I want my day-by-day life to be yielded to the Lord under his control. And I want to simply be obedient to him, not because I have to, but because I want to, because of what he's done for me on Calvary. And as you live that kind of a life, you're not going to be breaking as commandments. Now, are we going to be perfect? Well, no, we're not. Why? Because we're still sinners. See, in chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, we see a reference back to those who are lost as we continue through our passage here. But in reality, it could apply to those of us who are saved as well if we choose to live after the flesh, the flesh being the old nature. Now remember, as a believer, you can live according to the old nature, but it isn't the will of God, and there's problems that come with that. However, lost people, that is all they have. Chapter 8, verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If we think and live according to our carnal natures, what's that going to result in? Death. For the lost person, that's all they have. It's going to result in death. But for the believer who lives, not according to the spirit, but according to the flesh, he's going to suffer a lot of the same results as a lost person is. It's just that he won't go to hell because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But the principle of sowing and reaping is still real on behalf of, of whether you're saved or lost, it's still a reality. If you live after the flesh, you'll die. But if you live after the spirit, you live. Verse six, be carnally minded is death. Look at that. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If we think and live according to our carnal natures, it's death, destruction, okay? Now, what about for the lost person? What's the end for the lost person? Well, for the lost, Eternity in hell, separated from God. Think about that, friend. Now you notice, I, I'm, I'm not talking just about people like murderers and thieves and abusers and, and all of that, you know, drunkards and, and, and drug abusers. And no, 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 I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about even the quote-unquote good lost people who think that by doing all the good things they do, They think they're going to go to heaven when they die. No, friend, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by grace through faith. And there are going to be a lot of people who did good who are not going to get to heaven because they're trusting in their own merit and not what Christ has done. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't go to heaven any other way than receiving it as a gift. John chapter three, verse 18, it says, he that believeth on him, Christ is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? It isn't because he doesn't behave. It says, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God, all right? The difference between heaven and hell is whether you trust Christ as your savior or not. It's not how you live your life because that would be by works and we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. Now, for those of us who are saved, if we don't live for Christ, if we live after the flesh and not after the spirit, what happens to our lives? Well, we don't end up in hell. What happens though is this, our lives end up withering and drying up. They don't have the spiritual vibrancy in the fruit. That God wants them to. It becomes barren. It becomes dead. You know, I was thinking of an illustration of this this week, and, and I thought, well, you know, this one really works. Laptop computers are, are pretty cool, all right? But because they're portable, they need to be recharged. They have a rechargeable battery in them. Now, as long as you have it plugged in, the battery continues to get juice, right? Power. You never have to worry about your battery running down and the thing closing down, okay? As long as it's plugged in. But as soon as, even if with a brand new one, even as soon as you undo the power, you pull the power plug out of that, you have begun to run out of power as soon as you pull that power plug out, okay? With a newer computer, it's gonna take longer, With an older computer, if you've worn out the battery, it's gonna be a shorter amount of time. Either way, if you pull the power plug, you're gonna run out of power. Guess what? It's exactly the same in the Christian life. If we as believers do not stay plugged in, how do you do that? By yielding ourselves to the Lord and by obeying his word. If you don't stay plugged in, you're gonna run out of juice. Your spiritual energy is gonna be gone. Okay, and you are not going to be able to function the way God wants you to function as a believer. Your life is not going to produce fruit. You're not going to be vibrant. You're not going to see the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to miss out on the love and the joy and the peace and all the things that God wants you to have. That's why we need to stay close to the Lord. Again, to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Go back to your laptop computer, pull the plug. Sooner or later, it's going to die. Now, does that mean the computer will never work? No, it can still work, but your battery is useless. Your battery is idle. Your battery doesn't have the power it needs to function properly. But if you plug it in, you're connected to the power source, and guess what? You can get the job done. It's exactly the way for the Christian. I cannot help but think of John chapter 15. Hold your place here and look with me over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus said this in verse five, I am the vine, ye are the branches. There's another biblical illustration. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. That's when Jesus was here, but Jesus left. And who did he send in his place? The Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire. They are burned. That, that speaks of a, a wrecked life is what it speaks of in and, and judgment. See, to abide in Christ is to walk in fellowship with him. Yielded to him and doing his will. And when we don't abide in Christ, we are separating ourselves, not losing our salvation, but we are separating ourselves from the life giving power of the Lord. And as a result, we dry up as believers. Our lives, you stay on that path, what happens? Your life is going to be destroyed as a believer. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now here's the question today. Which do we want? Now think about that, Christian. I'm assuming you've trusted Christ as your savior. Which do you want? Do you want your life to have life and peace? Or do you want your life to be destroyed? Well, I want life and peace, but I want to do my own thing. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. The only way to have life and peace is to walk submitted to and yielded to the Holy Spirit and obedient to his word. Which takes us to number three. It is is a place of great privilege, okay? This realm of victory that God has for us. It's a place of no condemnation. Secondly, we saw it's a place of clear contrast. Life and death, life and peace. And third, we see that it is a place of great privilege, verses 10 through 14. We can now be led by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. What a marvelous thing that is. You know, so many of us have some area of our lives, maybe many, where we say, you know what, I'm not even going to try to do that because I'll mess it up. Can you think of an area in your life where you say, I don't even, I'm not going to even mess with that. I'll mess it up. If I try to do that, I'll mess it up. Anybody but me? All right. I've got some of those areas I know you, know. you know, call somebody who knows what they're doing instead of me messing it up. Some people feel that way about plumbing. Every time I try to do plumbing, I, I kind of get a flush look. Anyway, <laughs> some of you got that. No, I can, I can do it if I have to. See, there are those who talk about receiving the Holy Spirit, by the way, as something that takes place later. No, look at verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Two applications there. Number one, those in the flesh, obviously lost people, that's all they are is in the flesh. They cannot please God. That's why you can't earn your way to heaven. But you know what? Christians who live in the flesh, live according to their old nature, don't please God either. But ye are not in the flesh. Paul reminds them again, listen, those in the flesh can't please God. Those lost people can't please God, but you are not in the flesh. You're saved, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Holy Spirit or that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, and this is a powerful statement, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. In other words, if you don't already have the Holy Spirit, friend, you're not saved you're not saved. Now I know there are those who think that the Holy Spirit or receiving him is something that takes place down the road. Once you're a believer, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, as soon as you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. This idea of getting them later is a false idea. If you don't have them, you don't have salvation. Okay. Okay. Well, they say, oh, no, no, I still believe that you get the Holy Spirit later. He's the second blessing. Don't you believe in the second blessing? I say this yeah, I believe in the second blessing, and the third, and the fourth, and a million. I believe in a million blessings. But the Holy Spirit, I got Him the moment I trusted Christ. Where does it say that? Well, how about 1 Corinthians 6 19? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple? of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not with your own. Verse 20, by the way, says, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. But I want you to see this over in Ephesians chapter one. I think it makes it very clear in scripture here. Hold your place in Romans. We've got a couple more verses there today. Ephesians chapter one and verse 13, talking about Jesus, and it says this, in whom you also trusted, After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that, after that you believed, in other words, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. After you believed, when you believed, in other words, you believed, and then right after that, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. When you believe, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Okay, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Now, people make this mistake. Well, what am I going to feel like when I get the Holy Spirit? He's not a feeling. He's God, okay? Well, if God's living in in me, in my body, uh, am I gonna feel more pressure in my heart or my chest gonna feel tighter or whatever? No, friend, he's a spirit, okay? He's, he's not like a a, a donut, okay? Uh, he's, he's not, yeah, whoa, I feel something in there, a bagel, okay? He's not a bagel, he's a spirit. He's not material, but he's God. And when you trust Christ, he comes to live within you and he comes to be our comforter and our guide and he is our power to live the Christian life. And as we live, under his, live in submission and obedience to him, then we will experience life and peace. But if we don't, destruction is coming. Now back to Romans 8. It says in verse 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, this is something I didn't see, I've never seen before until just this week. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is is the agent that is going to... uh, and I'm sure the Father and the Son are in on it too. But the Holy Spirit is the agent that when the rapture takes place is going to change our mortal body. Think about it. And by the way, if he lives in me when the rapture takes place, he's doing it from the inside out. I've never seen that before. Till this week. See, the body has not yet the effects of salvation on it for it has not yet been changed but that's going to happen at the rapture now what is the rapture okay the rapture is this when jesus comes to take his church out of the world and that could take place according to scripture that could take place at any moment let me ask you today are you ready for the rapture are you ready for the lord to take you home have you trusted Jesus Christ and him alone as your savior? You can't get to heaven another way. Jesus is the only way. You might say, well, I don't believe that. I'm going to wait for a while. Friend, if you wait and the rapture takes place, you've missed the bus. You don't want to be left because what's coming after the rapture is the worst time Jesus said that the world has ever known in its history. Suffering and destruction is coming during a seven-year tribulation period. Jesus wants to take you out to heaven with the rest of those who have trusted Christ the Savior. I'm looking for the rapture. And I know this, I have the promise of scripture that God's gonna change my body when the rapture takes place. My body's gonna be changed into a body like his, a glorious body. Isn't that gonna be great? Think about it. No sickness, no pain, none of that. You're immediately going to be out from under the curse that is on creation today. Have you trusted Christ? I hope you have. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.